Hi everyone, my name's Steve Tudor and welcome to The Friday Show. It's a show that's inevitably getting sick and tired of seeing the word inevitable in city-related headlines. On today's pod, we're kicking back against the bitter, petty hacks who are too pathetic as human beings to concede an inch and recognise true greatness when they see it. If they cannot place this astonishing Manchester City creation on the heightened pedestal it deserves, then we absolutely will. And today we'll be celebrating the wonders we saw on Wednesday, as well as licking our lips for what lies ahead. We are witnessing a masterpiece being painted before our very eyes. We are sitting right next to Picasso as he conceives Guernica in real time. And journalists, whose main remit is to appreciate fine art, are saying, how much did that frame cost? And did you invoice correctly for that blue paint? Jog on. Let's get straight to it, because this is going to be a cracker. And it's going to be a cracker because I'm joined by three cracking gentlemen by the names of Asan, Lloyd and Howard. Asan, you there, mate? Morning, mate. Good morning. How are you? I'm really good. I, I am very impressed with you getting through that entire intro without stumbling. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, that was a one-take intro. And to, <laughs> let, to, let the, uh, to let the listeners in to, uh, on a little secret, to let you behind the curtain, it's rare that we get one-take intros. Generally, intros take two or three goes, so well done on nailing it. I feel a bit tired now. Lloyd, <laughs> 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 you there, man? Morning, yes. Good I'm morning to you. Very much uh, alive and just about well, yeah. Good, good, good. I hear that you're venturing north, is that correct? I am, yeah, to watch us lift the trophy. I'm not oh, jinxing it. Jinx um, it. <laughs> no, yeah, no, I am. I'm very much looking forward to it. I've uh, listened to the review the other day, absolutely loved it, but I've been trying to not read some of the absolute nonsense that I think we're going to talk about. Yeah, absolutely, we are definitely going to get to that howard are you there are you well are you good hello yes fair to say i slept well last night <laughs> unlike the night before where yeah yeah, yeah. couldn't turn my brain off at all all night so uh <laughs> yeah i'm good uh wow <laughs> just wow i mean what is it? <laughs> the intro an artistic masterpiece in itself uh you did ask on whatsapp if you could put a swear word in there last i night. changed it to job it's yeah. gone yeah yeah this is a family yeah. show until exactly. we get to the me until we get to the media section obviously when it becomes very adult <laughs> <laughs> show uh yeah so much to discuss what a week please let the week end perfectly and it's it's no coat weather as well this weekend so what more could you ask for is it ever no coat weather? Yes, I mean, I, it was abs. Honestly, it was too warm for me to wear my jacket back after on the walk back into town after the Madrid match. Okay. But I think that's because I was nervous, sweating my way through ninety <laughs> yeah. minutes. So, yeah, I, I personally would say it's jacket or coat. I, I would. I think that's probably because I have to come up from Wales, so and it's like there's no turning back. You know what I mean? Once I've committed, that's it. So yeah, I always yeah, take a jacket. It's coat, really, and it jackets for posh people. So. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> Southerners. Yeah, is it? Is it yeah. The classism on this pod is out of control, man. <laughs> oh my days! Let's um, start by looking back. Um, looking back on, for me, what is a bona fide masterclass. Um, I've never ever seen a performance like that from an English club in Europe. I don't think I've ever seen an English side play that level of football ever, um, and. When I keep saying English, it's only because 
we've seen the very best of Barcelona in our lifetime as well, who had just, you know, resided on another planet too. I would put City up there with Barcelona and those two are just, on, well, like I say, on another planet. It's no coincidence, of course, both coached by the same utter genius. But getting to the Real Madrid game, um, Asan, have you ever witnessed such levels before from from an English footballing side or indeed from any footballing side? I'm talking specifically about the first half, of course. Yeah, I mean, I I think that I I, I said on the review that I wonder whether this team is better than, if you take Messi out, whether it's better than Guardiola's Barcelona and whether it's better than Guardiola's Bayern Munich. And it was a question rather than a statement. And I think it, it sort of remains a little bit of a question rather than a statement. I watched it again um, late last night because I hadn't actually watched it. I'd just seen it in the ground and uh, it. I didn't quite realise the level of domination uh, in the first 45 minutes. I didn't quite realise just how relentless we were. But also there was a little bit of an interesting performance in that if you remove the opposition, City have played like that a few times. Uh, I, I would argue even this season, there's been moments where we've gone into games and we've dominated at such a high level that we've ended up doing a review where afterwards we say things like, oh, it doesn't really matter who we will have played today. We would have battered them because that's the level that we played at. Mm. And it was one of the, well, actually it was like a peak version of one of those performances where <clears throat> It didn't really matter. We didn't play the opposition at all. It it didn't matter to them who they were playing against. They knew exactly what they wanted to do and how they wanted to do it. And, you know, Guardiola always says it, and I think it's probably key, is they played with real personality. The 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 decision making in, in what everybody did and the bravery with which everybody did everything that they were doing on on Wednesday night was uh, was all about personality. Lloyd, it felt to me like a statement, like the players were, and particularly, of course, that 12 months after what happened at the Bernabeu last year, it felt like the players really wanted to make a statement to the world. Um, did it come across that way to you? Like like it was more than just a football match, more than just the occasion. Well, look at how they celebrated the first goal. Yeah. You know, I think I think that kind of underlined it, really. Um and it was it was a bit of a weird one in that I, look I really wanted to be there and I was gutted that I couldn't get up in time, but I think in a way for that first half it kind of helped to watch it on telly because it, it, it I can completely see what Aeson says there. I can imagine like from my seat in the south stand it would have been a bit difficult to kind of work out exactly how dominant we were in that first, particularly like first twenty five. Obviously the whole first forty five. They literally hardly touched the ball. I mean, for the first 25 minutes, I think the stat is that they didn't complete a pass and a half until about the 24th minute or something absolutely insane. Yeah, um, after the goal, yeah. Yeah, and the way the way in which we were moving them around, you know, and the accuracy, you know, every in the first half, obviously the accuracy dropped off second half. Just, just the way in which we were kind of pulling them around Every time Vinicius got it, you know, we got back into position, we covered. I mean, some of Walker's recovery runs, that one in the first half where he kind of bullies and 
outpaces Vinicius when Vinicius has probably got a yard or two on him. Um, I just thought it was it was outrageous, and yeah, it was. I mean, it was the statement performances, statement performance of statement performances. We've had a few this season. I think you know against United in the first half we were amazing. Against Arsenal we were amazing. Um, I thought we played well against Liverpool, um, but. You know, this for me probably was the one of all of them. It was the best. And that's partly because the opposition are the best. The, it's the kind of highest pressure moment. It's the Champions League semi-final. I just thought we were outrageous. And to be honest, 2-0 completely flattered them. It should have been It should have been 4 or 5. Yeah. I mean, you look back on two decades of dominance from Liverpool and two decades of dominance from United and you cherry pick moments don't you games where they were absolutely at their peak and everything just clicked on the day and and i think the city you could maybe include the stoke game the 7-2 against stoke and and this one and of course there's others too this is definitely one of a handful where we will look back on in 25 years time and say that's what city did that's what that's who city were but howard looking at the the game itself the night itself were Real Madrid disappointing or was it just simply that City made them disappointing? Uh, as always, both. So, yeah, I mean, it's their highest, joint highest ever defeat in the Champions League, along with 4-0 to Liverpool. It's a joint highest win by a team in the scoreline uh, victories in the semi-final of a Champions League match. Uh, again, 4-0 is the, the biggest margin ever in the Champions League semi-final. And when you, if you really want to look at Real Madrid, where you could go, well, yeah, yeah, I was uh, watching an interesting clip with friend of the show, Graham Hunter, uh, this morning, and you know he surmised that perhaps Ancelotti was overconfident that he could do, you know, the same. Maybe he took too much out the first leg and thought we can match them in the second leg, you know, because he came back into the first leg and not changed much. Mm. Graham Hunter surmised that you know maybe Rudiger should have come in, he should have moved Valverde or you know. And so on, some of the selections might not have been perfect. And of course, the like Modric, I think he's falling off a cliff now, as it happens to every player. Benzema himself hasn't been in great form and he's probably right in the twilight of his career now. Obviously, you know, these are aging players. But I think ultimately, City would have won that game, whatever Ancelotti had done. Yeah. It was literally close. I mean, you saw Pep Guardiola. Pep Guardiola probably wasn't happy. He was screaming at Kevin De Bruyne and getting an argument with him, thinking City rushed things too much. But for us as fans who aren't like so intensely perfectionist, it was as close to perfection as you could possibly ask for, apart from the fact that we probably should have been three up before we actually got the first goal. I felt when... I felt within 10 minutes, you know, it felt different from the first leg where we dominate, like, kind of sterile domination... It felt like the Arsenal match in a way. I think mm. Real Madrid came on the pitch and within 10 minutes, as he saw Vinicius Jr. and Ancelotti yes. scratching yeah. their heads on the touchline after the goal, I think they realised after 10 minutes, what <laughs> what are we going to do? What are we supposed to do here? I don't know what to do. We would, quite simply, I think Ancelotti, pretty, you know, you read between the lines, but he pretty much accepted this. I don't think there was anything he could have done at mm. all. City were just on a different level to Real Madrid. And it is um, that simple. It was the greatest performance I think the team's perhaps ever put in. Yeah, it's it's for me, it's the greatest performance I've ever seen from 
like I say, it, it possibly Barcelona at their absolute peak. Um, but it was right, right up there for me. Um, because it's it was as close to perfection as you can get. You, you can't pick holes in it. And and I want to come to you next day, son, about the atmosphere. But then Lloyd, I want to kind of dig down into you know how close it was to perfection. Um, but Asan, you've been to big games at the Etihad. You've been to big games at Main Road. You know, numerous, numerous times throughout your life. How did the atmosphere on the night compare to those other big games? I don't think of anything. I don't think I've ever felt anything like that before. Um, it was, yeah, it was something else. It was electric. And I think part of why it was electric was because there was a belief that was coursing through the build-up to that game um, amongst everybody, wherever we were, whoever we spoke to in the two or three hours before the game, the word that I think I, the, the overriding idea was the idea of belief that everybody was going into the game. Like Stefan saying to me two hours before the game, I am so relaxed. And that tells you... That must have thrown you off. Yeah, I mean, it just it just tells you the the kind of where we where we are where we find ourselves in terms of form and performances and you know the 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 fitness of the squad and the health of the squad and i don't know it just everything everything came together in in a in a really perfect way where when you walked in the stadium the hairs on the back of my neck just stood up straight away it was just like whoa this this is something else now um and then from the first minute it was relentless and it was it was brutal i mean i, I woke up at 4am my ears were still ringing and that's never happened after a football game it's happened after concerts before where you wake up in the middle of the night and your ears are still ringing but for that to happen after a game of football tells you how just loud and electric and, and how much adrenaline was in that stadium yeah yeah and it came through i watched on the television and it, it came through it really came through, you know, at one point, because obviously I've got uh, a young daughter, uh, and at one point I thought, oh, I've, I've left the telly on too loud. You know what I mean? It was like I was going to turn it down. Then I realised it was at the, the setting that I always have when she goes to bed. It was just booming at the telly. I mean, it was just one of those nights where I was I was so desperate, you know, I really wished I was there. Um, Lloyd, I, I've described it as close to perfection as it's possible to get that performance when you kind of look at the different facets of it, what really stood out for you? What was the one, whether it's an individual performance or whether it was a facet in, in, in whether it was how we were set up, what really stood out for you as particularly impressive? There are lots of individual performances, to be honest. Um, but I think the, the, the thing that really kind of caught my eye in, the, in that first half was the speed of play and the accuracy of that play yeah. to do to do that against probably the best team in Europe outside of outside of city maybe you know Bayern have got another shot but we smashed them in the earlier round i just think that is so so difficult and yes you know you could make after the event i've seen people making excuses that oh modric is really old now and cruz isn't the player he was and same lads that were saying we're going to get monstered by, you know, those two, Camavinga and Valverde before the game. Um, you know, this is a this is a Madrid side that is lit it literally lives for these kind of games, these kind of moments, kind of surviving in in games when they're when they're not doing that well and still beating you and still springing, you know, out of, basically out of the fire. 
as they did to us last season. So I just think to be able to kind of completely kill them and create so many chances. And to be honest, Haaland should have scored one or two in the first half. I don't think that's being harsh. No, I think when you look at those chances, they're uh, watching them again, again, didn't realise in the ground, but seeing them again last night, it was like, wow, okay. you The first you, the first one from Grealish, he should absolutely score. That's that's the easiest chance, I think. Yeah, but th- I think the, the one where <clears throat> the one where Courtois makes the save, it's a world-class save. And then there's the one where he goes a little too wide and then he pulls it back to the penalty area. And again, I just, I was really, even from that weird angle, I was really like, you should score from there. I mean, you've beat the keeper. Even if the angle is so narrow as a nine, you should just power and roll. Anyway, sorry, Lloyd, I cut you off. But point is, yeah, you're right. He he should have scored. Yeah. And, you know, if you were being, if you were being a total stickler, I think you would, you would have said at half time, we probably should have had at least one or two more goals. But yeah. Um, yeah, from a domination point of view, I, I, I was, I don't think it's miles off, um, kind of, um, Barca to United at Wembley, but I would have that above this. I, must, I, I do think, <laughs> I, I do think that was, that's the most dominant big game performance I've ever seen. Um, that's the best side I've ever seen. And I would yeah. still have, I would still have them above City to be clear. I do think. It's not just Messi, but that midfield of Busquets, Xavi, Iniesta in their pomp at that time, they were untouchable. I think this was pretty close, though. Look, is there an element of the fact that Barcelona came first? Is that also a factor? I mean, it is for me. I think the reason why I elevate that Barcelona team so highly is because at that point, I'd never seen football played like that before. So now when I'm watching City, obviously it's not carbon copy, but there are similar elements to it, which I've already seen from Barcelona. Is that the same with you, maybe? A United fan, actually, in the kitchen at work said this to me yesterday, and he, he... he said he thinks it's as good, and I see. I see the point. I know where you're coming from. I think also because that style of football was a bit more foreign, kind of yeah, yeah. 10, 15 years ago, in the sense that you know it was really unusual to play like that, and you know football hadn't developed as it has in the last 10, 15 years. Where mm. with you know with respect, you do now see like. Swansea come up from the championship playing like really kind of front foot aggressive football. I mean, like look at Brighton now under De Zerbi. So it is more commonplace. But I do still think, I, I do still think that team was on a different level. Okay. I, I know what you, I know what you mean, but I, I, I still think, I still think they're better. And I think it's maybe slight recency bias to put C there. But yeah, fair, fair. Um, how would a performance like that from an English side in the Champions League? I mean, we've all seen the the media coverage before. You know, United in Turin, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, surely we could expect you know glowing praise and and enthusiasm galore. Um, it brought to mind the reception that it got from most, I have to say, of the media. Um, it brought to mind that that placard. And, and I'm paraphrasing here, I can't remember it exactly, but something like, we had low expectations, but Jesus Christ. Um, I couldn't believe what I've seen. And I saw it was straight away as well. I mean, it really was straight away. Um, what was your reaction to the media coverage to an unbelievable performance from an English side in the Champions League? Yeah, down with that sort of thing. 
That's yes. a huge fan of Fortnite. <laughs> Blackguard. Uh, you know what? I've changed my mind since the review. I'm loving it, Steve. Absolutely loving it. Same. <laughs> I'm I'm varying from one to the other, I have to say. Uh, yeah. First of all, there's been tons of positive uh, coverage, and as fans, maybe, we tend to overlook that. Uh, it's lot, you know, especially in the print. I don't, you know, we don't buy newspapers anymore, physical newspapers. So, you know, I don't read through them like I used to. I used to read through a newspaper in the old days. Uh, there's been tons and tons of positive stuff said by journalists. So to say it's all been negative is not true. But where the negative ca- negativity came from was blindingly predictable, <laughs> obvious and predictable. And yeah. I hope they're hating every fucking second of it. So keep writing them, keep sitting there miserable as hell, keep inviting them to the ground to witness it and let them stew in their own juices and bemoan the death of English football or (laughs) European football. Because as City fans, we want to dominate the game. We want to make it uncompetitive. We want to win everything every season. And if that annoys a lot of... So, you know, pseudo intellectuals at certain newspapers. I think I'm actually all for it because all they're doing is cheering out the same, same article time after time after time. And what used to annoy me and frustrate me now, you know, as I tweeted on the night, inject it into my veins is just hilarious. Uh, someone like Delaney churning out the same article time after time yeah. after time after time after time. And as I said on the review, who's he writing it for? You know, when United won the Champions League or whatever, I turned the TV off and didn't think about it ever again. I didn't want to read anything about it, even if it was negative, even if they'd fluked the game, even if they cheated to win the game. It doesn't matter. They lifted the trophy. I never wanted to think about it again. I didn't want to read articles about financial disparity between United and anyone else. It's nonsense. I mean, we've always said the right for opposition fans, but if you're a Liverpool United fan, why on earth would you be tuning in after we've, after one of the greatest European performances of all time, to, to read something that makes you feel a little bit better? You don't. The best way to, the coping mechanism for that, for all football fans, is to turn off. And, you know, I saw, I've got to mention, it's not all about City. I'm just generally fatigued about the level of coverage and I think that Barney Roney tweet this morning uh, about West Ham absolutely sums up the joylessness of Mm. a lot of football English football journalists covering the game actually seem to hate the sport they are covering and Barney Roney went with the general pluckiness vibe worth bearing in mind West Ham are richer than AC Milan and 10 times as rich as AZ Alkmaar they're not exactly the Ewoks here it's the perfect straw man argument. No, I've not seen anyone say West Ham are plucky. I watched yes, that game yeah. last night. I saw the joy on those West Ham fans. Yeah. You know, and even Sheffield Wednesday fans and the despair on the Peterborough fans and then the joy. And, wow, look what it meant to those West Ham fans. Look what it meant. You know, follow someone on Twitter. They were absolutely, the nervousness, the panic, the elation, everything it means to be a fan, completely stripped bare by the joyless arseholes who write like Barney Roney and the good writers, if they, you know, if they wanted to be and they often are. Stripping no, the joy and emotion out of football. No one. It's straw man arguments. They put lies in there. No one called West Ham plucky. They've just got to a European final. It might be the Conference League. But their fans, that's everything for them. Yeah. And he comes out with a tweet like that. 
utterly joyless and hey, just drink it in. Just enjoy their discomfort <laughs> because, because it just makes it all the sweeter for me. I want to come to each of you for this, um, but I'm aware also that, you know, obviously we've got the Chelsea game to discuss and, and, and more upbeat things to discuss. So if you'd be quick, lads, but obviously I want to hear from you, Aysan, and I want to hear from you, Lloyd, on this. Aysan, just your general thoughts on the media reaction. Um, yeah, how obviously it wasn't a surprise to you, but was it a surprise to you the amount of it, the amount of negativity that just spewed out? No, I... I... I tweeted a few. I tweeted after Arsenal lost to Brighton um, that we should be prepared for some serious words to be written about City. Um, so I was I was absolutely ready for for the reaction. Look, I think one of the things that I'm prepared to acknowledge um, is that we can't escape the Premier League charges. They, they are a real thing. They've happened. The league have charged us. So I can remove my, if I remove my kind of city bias or and, and try and put, put myself in the shoes of opposition supporters, I can, I can kind of understand why if you supported a rival, you might have the attitude of, well, well, fuck city, they're cheats. Yeah. I, I, I completely get that. Um, what I, what I think is is funny is I realized that a lot of the football writers they they can't really let go of their tribalism and so they basically are trying to do a pseudo intellectual version of what a rival supporter would do, which is to go foxy that she is that's not really your job as a as a football writer i mean you're you're a football writer you you can't like. I just, I think they're completely out of touch. That That's the only reflection that I have. I, my point of view is that most, if not all of them, are completely out of touch. And they just don't, like Howard said, they just don't seem to enjoy the game. They don't seem to enjoy what the game has become. They actually don't seem to, they seem to very specifically have a problem with English football. It's this kind of, and I've always felt this, that, if you go on the continent, if you go to Spain or you go to Italy or you go to Germany or you go to France, you'll find something that no matter what their kind of their internal issues are within the game, they're very they're very supportive of their leagues on the international stage. They're, it's it's very important to them that they kind of you know they hold themselves up as being important leagues. And I think we have this strange dichotomy in England where we have the most successful league in the world, the best players, the best coaches, the, probably the best infrastructure in terms of clubs as well. And therefore we have the most money and, and all of this sporting excellence seems to be genuinely despised by a lot of the people who write about the game and it just it, that doesn't make any sense to me I, i'm i can even remove city from it and just go i think rono's tweet about west ham is an insight into the psyche of some of these football writers to the point where we shouldn't even take it personally because most of these fuckers they they just they seem really thoroughly unhappy with 
where they find themselves professionally in their lives. They seem to write about something that they've grown to despise. And maybe it's because the clubs they support aren't successful. Maybe it's because the clubs that are successful now are a representation of something that they either don't like or don't understand or wished didn't exist. Um, But that's really where they are. And to bring it back to the kind of Madrid City reactions, I've not read a single match report. There's not, I've not opened a single article about that game from the mainstream media. I don't need to. There's plenty of content created by City supporters that will be objective and that will be fair and that will be, you know, that will be worth a read. It'll be well written. It'll be certainly better written than, you know, Jonathan Liu or or Barney Rone, all of these fellas that are held up as like fantastic writers. And I'm to say the same thing I said yesterday on the review. I just don't see it to me. I'm like, I remember being in sixth form and you get an assignment to like write something and you, you want to impress your teacher and you stuff it full of pointless metaphors and <laughs> off you go. Like, well, okay. I mean, you know, I did that in sixth form. That's, that's not, that's not amazing writing write a match report like in the fashion of charles bukowski and and use two syllable words max and try and convey an emotion that people will connect with writing is about conveying an emotion that your audience will connect with and so again comes back to the idea for me who is their audience when it comes to city stuff it ain't city fans the, the tone of the articles will tell you this is not written for a Manchester City supporter. It's written for everybody else. So why would I read it? Uh, well, you made a really interesting point there about the fact that they're football writers and they should be writing about football. And it was essentially a dereliction of their duty on Wednesday night. That was how I saw it. That's what annoyed me. The fact that they can talk about the Premier League charges. They can talk about kind of, you know, nation state and all the rest of it in all their articles. And they do time and time and time again but in the immediate hours after that football match from that performance from that team it should have been about that match and it wasn't um lloyd did you feel the same way in that regard did you think essentially that they they were writing a political piece about a football match that had nothing to do with any of the politics surrounding manchester city it was that they were just you know kicking us when it was just the wrong time and place for those kind of articles and those kind of thoughts mm. and all that. It's almost like they are not doing their job correctly, that they, they are not being football writers, like Asan alluded to. Did you feel the same way? I definitely feel that, yeah. Um, so I'll start with a bit of a disclaimer here. So when, when I was kind of exploring what I should do when I left school and uni and stuff, my actually my my first idea was you know what I really like football I'm shit at it um, maybe I'll maybe I'll go down the kind of football journalism route and so toyed with that for for a few years obviously did some of the stuff for the writing for the Observer I did did some work experience at City in the journalism team um, back in the day it was a 2010 summer when David Silver signed. Um, and kind of did some stuff for 442 and went to some games and got some accreditation with the MEN and was going down that route, right? And I was like, yeah, okay, I think this is what I'm going to do. And then I spent some time in press boxes and going to games and 
you know, covering covering city games mainly. Um, and I just fa- I just found it to be such a not not because it was for me, but I could kind of sense the atmosphere from everyone in there. Such a joyless kind of tired experience, and I was like looking at some of the guys in there and look there are some journalists I really respect and really like I'm not this is not a dig at them but I kind of looked at it and I went I don't want to become these guys I don't want to I don't want to be turned into someone who's one of my main passions in life is football and I don't want to be looking at covering the game as some sort of like joyless, tired, boring experience where I've been sapped of all my kind of emotion and love for the game. And that you see so much of that. And I think it's so sad. It's so, it's such a sad indictment on on a sport that kind of evokes more emotion than almost any other. And, you know, look at even last night, what happened with the Sheffield Wednesday game from up to down to up to down. You know, they conceded... A, the fifth goal in extra time after scoring four, Peterborough must have been like, wow, how have we got through this? Sheffield Wednesday score again, then they go win on pens. I mean, it's absolutely mental. Like it's a complete <laughs> roller coaster. And I think what what for me has just become so obvious is there is so much emotion. There's so many good stories in football. I think some of these guys like Rone, they, they just don't see it. And that's just absolutely mental. I mean, like City as well, that game evokes so much emotion. And I think, you know, for for non-City fans watching that game, the high, the high level of quality, you know, the reaction of some of the players, some of the interviews afterwards, you know, there's so much content there. There's so much to talk about. There's so much to kind of bring out from the game. And it's your job as a, as a journalist to kind of, you know, describe that, tell that story. And I think so often now what, what you see is that, you know, they're just worn down by it, which is, it's just, when you take a step back and think about that, it's absolutely incredible. Crazy. But it's crazy. I, I wonder how many of them, some of these people have actually experienced the emotion that I experienced on Wednesday night or Sheffield Wednesday, or Peterborough fans experienced in the last couple, last night. Mm. That truly, Ronnie Roney can write well, but I think he's pretending to, Describe the experience of some of these emotions in games without actually having experienced it himself, because that's how it comes across to me. But most most football fans should have experienced some sort of big up and big down. That's just that's just how football is, you know. Even as a City fan prior to um, you know Abu Dhabi takeover, there are there are plenty of games I'm sure you could have called on where you'd have had absolute like elation from nowhere. I mean, look at the '99 playoff final. <laughs> I know we were shit for for a while, particularly like in the in the eighties or whatever. But you know, I, I, I think this is what's so stupid about it. Every, every pretty much every, every club will have had really big downs, really big ups. And I know that we're at a stage where now we're living on ups, and look, we're all loving it as fans, as we should be, and we should be making the most of it because it's not going to stay like this. But you know, pretty much every club has had has had their ups and downs, and you should be able to draw on that. I just think it's a it's a crying shame. I mean, there used to be two types of match reports, didn't there? It's a game on the Saturday. You get the match report on the Sunday. You get the wider context one yes, in the yeah. print on the Monday. And of course, match reports are still like that today. I.e., they're not all just like this happened, this happened, this happened. And in a way, we don't need them because we. If you had any interest in the game, you watched it, or you've seen the highlights, or you've. Se- There's nothing that match reports can really do anymore. But as for Wednesday, you know the greatest performance ever. I didn't need to read the match report. 
you know, witnessed it, I experienced it. We chatted about it. I listened to some other city podcasts. That's everything you need. I mean, there's nothing I need to be told in a way. I mean, it's great to go back over it, but, you know, if Barney only just spent 2,000 words eulogising City, I'm not really bothered, to be honest. <laughs> I know what I saw on I know what I saw on Wednesday. It's simple as that. I know what I saw. I saw Vinicius Junior not do a single take or join a match. I saw Bernardo Silva put in one of the great performances. I saw them barely get Real Madrid barely get out of Little City's half for twenty five minutes. I saw the most complete performance. And what else is there to say? Really, it's self defining. It doesn't need. We don't need to have our yeah, egos tickled really by reading stuff like this. Nice okay. as it would be, and it is out there if you want it. So, okay, let's um, let's move on to bigger, brighter things uh, than those small petty men. Um, the Chelsea game this weekend, Asan, I'll come to you first. Putting aside the obvious importance of winning a Premier League title, uh, how good does that sound? Um, how beneficial would it be to sew it up with two games remaining, affording Pep the chance to get the players in the best possible shape for two finals? So if, in, in practical terms, how beneficial will it be to win this weekend? Um, I think that depends upon, a lot of that depends upon Nottingham Forest, to be honest, because I've, I have the feeling that they will, uh, that they will, uh, that, that's who Arsenal play, right? They're going to get yeah. something. Yeah, I I, I, okay. I suspect I suspect that City will have won the league um before a ball has been kicked on uh on Sunday, which would be lovely. Look, I, I I've slightly changed my my overall view. I think I realised that before the Madrid game, I I'd kind of I I'd somehow I'd decided that I wasn't going to think too much about the outcome of Madrid. Um but now that we've kind of got the other side of it and we won in the fashion that we won i find myself in a place where i would actually like to wrap everybody up in cotton wool i almost feel as though i want forest to to get something or even to be arsenal so that sunday is the first game where pep can begin to think about okay not just not just managing minutes of players who have played loads but in the in Foden and Mares, he's probably got two players who have got two or three weeks to fight for a starting berth in the FA Cup final, if not in the Champions League final. Um, and so I'd like to see players like that be given an opportunity. I also feel for whatever's happened between uh, Pep and Laporte or whatever, however Laporte feels about his time at City, he has been central to so much of what's been amazing during the Pep era. I want to see him play some games yeah, um, well if, if possible. Uh, I feel, and I, it's a really, it's a very interesting emotion to have, right? The last two days I felt something really strongly. And that is that this really does feel like, both the beginning of something, but also the end of something as well. Um, I, I saw, I saw the interview with Bernardo after the, after the Madrid game. I, I know I've seen enough footballer interviews to know 
that watching that interview, if Bernardo Silva gets the opportunity to leave this summer, he'll leave. Yeah. Um, I don't think any of us can predict what's going to happen with Gundo. And so there's this weird, I have this weird bittersweet feeling where it's almost like a farewell lap these next few weeks for a lot of players. Um, and so I'd like to be given the opportunity to have those players do do that on the pitch. So with Laporte, certainly I'd like to see him play. I think, as I said with Phil and Mares, it's a different thing in that I, I, I'd like to see them be given the opportunity to fight for a starting place, at least in the in the FA Cup final. Um, and I want to slap Chelsea on Sunday as well. <laughs> I, I, I mean, there's just, there's, there's, the, I'll, I'll turn the question around on the three of you. There's this weird sort of, place that I find myself in where I'm a bit speechless in the sense that I don't think I've ever been here before. Like I've experienced a lot in my city supporting life, but whatever this feeling is right now, I don't think I've been here before. I don't really know what it means to be this good. I don't really know what it means to potentially win a treble. I don't really know what it means to see city, dismantled Real Madrid in the way that we did. I think that almost we need distance. I think it'll be a year or two that we'll look back on this season and fully understand what it is and appreciate what it means. So this is how it feels to be City. Yeah, it maybe maybe that's the thing that that this is how it feels to be City was was born out of frustration, right? Um, <laughs> ah. And even quoting James songs now. I know. I know. Well, I mean, you know, I was gonna, Almost. I was gonna do it. Uh, I was gonna do it at the end, but I'm gonna do it now. This this entire show is dedicated to the memory of Andy yeah. Rourke. Um, but yeah, like I, I, I don't know is the honest answer. Like I don't really know what, um, what our kind of, uh, what what bet- between now and the Champions League final, all of these games, what are they? Are they a victory lap? Is it, you know, is it a goodbye? Is it the beginning of something else? Do we just enjoy each game for what it is? Do we just enjoy the 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 occasion and the memories for what they are? I think it does come down to that because I don't think, you know, I don't look outside of our bubble for validation or for, you know, to give me the context of what this is. So I guess we've got to figure it out for ourselves. Sorry, that's a very rambly, almost pointless answer, but... um kind of makes sense to me do, it, what, do we not I, do we not want a draw well be between forest and arsenal well i'm, I'm gonna get perfect, to that yeah i think in fact i was gonna get to that let's get to that then uh howard and then you lloyd are you anticipating that forest can get something and if so are you anticipating a night of celebration how it's gonna be a weird one isn't it where you know you won the league without playing well, if it was a draw, you've not won the league, but you can't no, lose no, it. You can't lose yeah. it either because of our goal difference. It's the perfect uh, <laughs> uh, compromise in a way for me. So I think Forest are definitely good for a draw against Arsenal. Who mm. knows how how they'll walk onto the pitch and attitude wise. So um, no, yeah, I don't want to jump ahead in your agenda, Steve, and ruin it all. I was just no, thinking, we'll get to that now. It's fine. Yeah, we can still discuss the Arsenal game later but I just think with a draw City going to that needing a draw against Chelsea to win the league and we all know they've won the league because Arsenal could only catch us on points but they won't catch up the goal difference and it it makes that Sunday perfect in a way Uh, right 
Yeah. I mean, if you go into it having already won, it is slightly anticlimactic, is it not? I mean, I'll always want it wrapped up as early as possible, so I'm not going to complain, but I think a draw in a Saturday evening match would be perfect. So, But can I just say, for the record, unless I'm mistaken, we won't get the trophy if they draw and then we draw. Yeah, because even though we've won it on goal difference, we won't have won it. I want the trophy on Sunday. No, so, no, no. If we match them this weekend, we've won the league. Yeah, if we if ah, we draw, okay. we still win it outright. Fine. Okay. Perfect. Well, then that's fine. Then, then it is. Then, then I can then I can get behind the uh, the draw at, at Forest too. Sorry. Well, I'm, I'm going to stay with Forest Arsenal, and then obviously we're going to circle back to the Chelsea game. So Lloyd Asan thinks that Forest can get something. Howard's confident of of possibility of a draw at least. Firstly, how do you feel about it? How do you feel about Forest ch- chances? And a kind of a twofold question, because what do you think will be the mindset of the Arsenal players going into this? Do you think they've given up on the league? I think they'll be on the floor, mm. to be honest. I can't see how Arsenal win this. I think it would be that would be quite... I think of all three results, that would be the, the most shocking result. I don't know, that sounds a bit mental, but I think Forest will get something. Forest. Uh, you know they're still fighting for their lives. They've not got they've not got enough points yet to to you know really take their foot off their throat. They're at home. I think it's their last. Is it their last home game? I think it's their last home game. It of the is. Season. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, come on. They are going to be so up for it. They're just going to have to go for Arsenal. And I think Steve Cooper's a pretty wily coach. I mean, look at look at what he did against us. I know we should have absolutely killed them off, but I think he's shown that he can set up. Uh, a team in moments like that and I think he should sense I think that they are very much there for the taking and they just need to go at Arsenal at the weekend don't sit off go for them because I think I I think they could I think they could fall apart again like they did in the second half against Brighton and that you know now as well the injuries have started to take their toll a little bit so Martinelli's now out for the season Zinchenko's obviously out Saliba won't be playing you know that you're going to be able to get at that team. Um, so I would be very surprised if Forest don't get something. I think I think a draw or a win. Well, they do have Trussard coming in for Martinelli, who has scored the second, sorry, the second highest amount of assists since the World Cup. Anyone? Well, you should give him another one for the assist in the Brighton game. Oh, oh really? Well, no, he set up. He set up their second goal and gave oh, yeah. it to gave it to uh, Brighton. Got you, got you, got you. So, yeah, of course. So, who's had the most assists since the World Cup then? Anyone care to uh, have a guess? It's a City player. Uh, De Bruyne. It's got to be De Bruyne. No, well, it's a surprise. No, that was too obvious. He wouldn't have Riyad. Riyad. It is, Riyad, yeah. Riyad. Yes. Most assists since the World Cup, yeah. Yeah. Bravo, right, I, can I, can I just say as well, uh, Bernardo Silva's last eight Champions League goals have all come in the knockout stages, so... Well, that's that shows, a great one. Shows what a big time player he is. Yeah. yeah. So please do stay in the summer. And and a great header of a ball as well. <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I want to talk about another London club, obviously Chelsea. Um I'll come to each of you on Chelsea. Uh, start with you, Asan. Are they a busted flush under Lampard? I I if ever I'm playing if ever City are playing a big club who are really struggling a bit of pessimism kicks in for me. I was thinking, oh, this is where they turn it around. You know, they, they have to at some point. Does it feel like that could happen with, with Lampard? Or do you think basically from now until the end of the season, 
they're just going to be mediocre. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it'd be different if we were talking if we were having this conversation four or five weeks ago. But the season ends in a week, yeah. So yeah. you know, it's it's. I think that most of those players will be the very definition of on the beach hmm. um, come Sunday. Particularly knowing there's a new manager coming in, I I just yeah I, I the Chelsea are a. Chelsea are a weird case in that I find myself not as down on them. I think every, I think there's this general consensus that Chelsea are fundamentally broken and that it'll take years for them to sort this out. And I believe the contrary. I think Pochettino is a very clever appointment and I worry that Poch can generate a head of steam with just signing two or three of the right players this summer uh, and then hitting the ground running next season. So I think that they've obviously had an appalling season, um, but I don't expect that circus to continue next season. I expect that they'll get much better, much quick, or much better very quickly. That has just perfectly led into into my follow-up question for Howard. Um, what needs to be done at Chelsea in order for them to compete at the top again? Is it is it a huge overhaul needed, or is it simply a, a, a change in personnel in the dugout? Mm, I, can't, I agree with Asan. Uh, in a way, <laughs> no, I do. I, they're not well. They're broken right now, but they're very fixable. If that makes any sense, so I could see. You know, I think it's it's not signed yet, has it? But it's going to be Pochettino. Uh, I could see like. Managers like him or big managers, you know, looking at, you know, if there's a job available at Chelsea, thinking still being attracted to it. So they're not broken enough that, you know, they're like poison chalice or anything. There's, there's a lot to do, though. I mean, remember how they were picking up all these long, long contracts, you know, to get the amortization down? What if Mudrick is rubbish and he's stuck there for seven or eight years and you can't get rid of him because his contracts are so long? There's just too many players there. It's like City under Joe Royal. It's then there has to be some ruthlessness by the manager who comes in, you know, Pochettino, deciding on a squad of eighteen to twenty players and making some big decisions and getting rid of a lot. It needs to be trimmed. The fat needs to be trimmed big time in that squad. But there's tons and tons and tons of talent there, so it's. It is fixable, and they can turn this around and be a force next season, I think. However, they have dug themselves into a hole by a scattergun and rather amateurish approach to recruitment in the last year. So, financially, I don't know where they stand with what they've done in the last year. That could be problematic. But they've got players. They have a great youth system as well, if need be, you know, to use them. They've got enough in place that if they actually start dealing with a more sensible manner over the summer and get and be ruthless with a lot of players and trim down that squad, they can definitely be a force again. And it makes our game against them weird because you know they've been terrible repeatedly. You know, they couldn't beat Nottingham Forest at home, no disrespect to Forest, who I think, you know, we're always going to survive on their home form. And yet you feel that they could on any day still be good because look at the players they put out, there's loads yeah. there. So it's weird. Uh but they are fixable, definitely, yeah. And it's well, just the Chelsea away, isn't it? It's just <laughs> carnage, yeah. They can sack managers and still win trophies with caretaker managers. They're just an up-and-down club like that who don't really follow the rules a lot of the time. So, mm. 
If Chelsea yeah. were going to turn it around this season, they'd have done it long before this yeah, fixture. That's, true. Yes, that's fair. Um, they've had a lot of opportunities where you watch them and you go, God, they've got... You look at the 11... I found myself... Like when they played Arsenal, you looked at the 11 and you were like, yeah, it's a pretty good 11. Mm. You're constantly going, it's still quite a good team. And you, you watch the performance and the performance is like 2 out of 10. Um, yeah, I don't think they're going to do anything this weekend. I also... Completely agree with the boys. A big call, but I think they could get top four this next season, to be honest. I think no no European football. I do think they're quite fixable as well. I think that is a very good squad if someone gets hold of it. Poch is probably one of the perfect coaches to manage such a young team. He needs to cull a lot like he did when he came into Spurs and got rid of like Kabul and Adebayor and, you know, all those lot. So... I think I think they could, that could turn around quite quickly um, if Poch hits the ground running. I think the time to back Chelsea would be now in terms of betting because I think there's more like sixteen to one to win the title, which you know does feel far fetched, of course, at this point. But if they're challenging the top four, you'd be very pleased, wouldn't you? If they're kind of third, let's say, and in contention with a couple of months to go, and you've had them at sixteen to one, that's going to go right down. I think as soon as they appoint, you know, Posh. Um, I'll stay with you, Lloyd. There's a possibility, as already discussed, that City could have a title wrapped up going into this game. What is the chances of the party atmosphere leading to a drop in intensity from play? Or is that just inconceivable under Pep Guardiola and these players? What do you mean if Forrest win? Yeah, Forest win, and so obviously the crowd are going to be up for it. It's going to be a celebratory mood. I mean, we've seen this time and time again in football where, you know, a team's achieved something, they have basically a party, and the, and the away team think, great, we're going to poop this party. Um, is there a chance of that happening? Mm, maybe. Maybe if they win, maybe if Forest win, it might be a bit more downbeat, but... I don't think so, really. I mean, we're we're st- there's still the thing is that kind of happens when there's nothing to play for. We've still got the players still have an FA Cup and a Champions League yes. to play for. Yes, and so a lot of the guys, you know, I think there's going to be a bit of rotation on the weekend, and you'd like to think and look. I think Everton is the perfect example that guys are going to come in and they're going to like Mares and Foden are going to know that they, these are going to be their minutes they need to impress Guardiola and if they want to be involved in those two big games. So I think there's a chance of it. I mean, from a fan's perspective, I really, really would like it to be a draw or an Arsenal win because I would like to actively win it against Chelsea. I think there's, there is something in that. Um, it will just be, it'll be a better vibe. And then, you know, we can have a massive party after the game. Um, <laughs> so I, I would prefer that. I mean, you know, being be, be be picky, you want a draw. That would be the, that would be the absolutely ideal result from that game. Um, but let's be honest, lads, all outcomes are good outcomes here. <laughs> not all outcomes. I mean, it would be a miracle, but you know. It, we're, not, we're not losing it from here. Not, <laughs> it's just it's just not going to happen. It's There's a one in a thousand happen. chance, but it's still that one in, in a thousand chance. It's not going to happen. Um, let's get to the big question then. Asan, who are you expecting to come in or drop out from the Real Madrid game? And a follow-up question, which I'll put to all of you, is how do you expect this game to play out? I think there probably will be some rotation. Um, I can confidently predict that Calvin Phillips won't start. 
<laughs> but outside of that, <laughs> big call. Uh, outside of that, I don't really know. I mean, you know, I I, I think uh, Jack looked knackered, so I think Jack probably needs a rest. Um, KDB looked knackered. I think he probably needs a rest. Um, I expect it'll probably end up being four four two with with Alvarez and Haaland again. And then some combination of of what we've seen whenever we've played four four two in recent weeks. Okay, so is there anything you disagree with there, Howard? Anything you want to add to that in terms of team selection and how you think it'll play out? Yeah, I mean we still have to think about Nottingham Forest game. It's like I mean, if we had won the league, there's that's three league games that don't matter at all. He's not going to just rotate a whole side. Uh but they if Arsenal win, yes, there'll, there'll still be some rotation, I agree. Yet again, we've said it 30 times during the season, uh, and he says it in press conferences, Pep, on a Friday. We'll see. We'll do training, we'll see. It's anyone who's looking fatigued doesn't play on Sunday, whatever the Forest, whatever happens in Forest Arsenal. Uh, we've got three attempts to win the league. Maybe. We don't need any of them. Maybe we need one. Uh, just play the ones that are freshest really that that you know it is Arsenal let's be honest 101 to win the league it's it's a done deal uh he'll be thinking ahead already Pep I reckon and again it's a it's about now now it's about keeping this team fresh it's trying to avoid injuries that's the number one priority now is to avoid injuries mm. uh Nathan Ake don't know the situation with that we'll know in the press conference of course be good for him to get some football in the next week, assuming he's back in training, and get ready for that FA Cup final. So it'll still it'll be a strong team on Sunday. Of course, he's not going to. I just can't. I can't see where you know. Even if Arsenal lose, I just can't see him putting Gomez, Phillips, and Cole Palmer in the side. I just don't see that happening. He'll want rhythm and momentum, and it will still be quite a strong team. But again, it's a case. He made four changes, I think. Last week, you know, you could easily again change four or five players and still put a very strong side out. So, and there's plenty of players who haven't had a huge amount of football. So, okay, uh, Howard, a uh, score prediction. Right, let's assume that Ars- yeah, Arsenal got Frank Lampard as the manager. So, come on, uh, and I don't. He put, he put a weird team out last week, didn't he? Mm, I don't he think did. he knows what the eleven. He's been are. changing their eleven a lot. Yeah. Game to game. So who knows what team he's going to put out? I'm going to go for two nil because I think if City did go two goals up, it it really is a pass it sideways and game management <laughs> yeah. situation. Yeah. Uh, a San score prediction. Um, I'm going to go three nil City. Okay, Lloyd score prediction. Hmm. I think three nil. Okay, I'm going to go 3-1. I'll stay with you, Lloyd, on kind of coming at it from a different tack. Um, Should we win? Obviously, we've won the league and we've done the three-peat. How big an achievement would that be? How significant an achievement would that be? Um, I've been waiting all podcasts to do this name drop, but I was chatting with Paul Dickoff yesterday and (laughs) and he was saying that 
He thinks this is the most competitive Premier League it's ever been. He said back in the day, you'd have two or three really good, strong teams. Mourinho going up against Wenger, going up against Ferguson, etc. He said now there are six or seven teams who are all capable of getting into that top four, all capable of, you know, beating any team on their day. Um, with that in mind, winning three in the bounce, how, how special is that? It's mental. Yeah. It's mental. So it's it's at the period when Klopp's in the league, Tuchel's been in the league, um, you know, Arsenal have turned into, you know, particularly in the last 18 months, Arsenal have turned into a top team. I know they've obviously bottled the league, but I just think back to, for Arsenal, I think back to that game last season at the Emirates where Rodri scored the last minute winner. You know, they were brilliant in that game. They probably probably deserve to beat us um, and you know they, they made a couple of mistakes but they've been really good for 18 months um, I mean I don't even need to say anything about Klopp's Liverpool I think in a way this season has probably underlined maybe just how good they were to push us right to the end in, in some of the other title winning seasons mm. um, and then just, just look around the league I mean you've got teams like Brighton Brentford who just take points off literally anyone I mean Brighton Brighton I think outplayed us at the AI earlier this season. Brentford beat us. Um, you know, there's teams like Palace where they can they can lose six in a row, but then then you can go to Selhurst Park, play them, and you still know it's an unbelievably difficult game. They've still got Zahar, they've still got Eze, they've still got Alise. So there's quality all over the league. I, I would agree with your friend Paul Dickoff. I think <laughs> I think this is my, my good friend Paul Dickoff. I don't like to talk about it. Your good, good friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think I, th- I think the quality is yeah, it's, it's everywhere. I mean, you, yeah, pretty much. I mean, look at our game away at Forest. Do you know? Do you know what I mean? Like every team has one or two threats that are like massive threats, and if the game goes against you and the other team manages to sit in, you know, like Morgan Gibbs White and Brennan Johnson could cause you problems, and you know that's what happened in our game. So. It's it's a remarkable achievement. Um, I think only United have done it, haven't they, in the Premier League era? Yeah, three in a row. Um, only five teams I, have ever done it, and they definitely the, the the league definitely wasn't as strong, kind of at the top, but also throughout as it was now. So yeah, I mean it's a remarkable achievement. Yeah, can I just say yeah? I think after I speak, Ace needs to tell us who he's met this week as well. <laughs> oh really? Yeah, on match day, yeah. I think it's only fair uh, for some name dropping for Mason as well. Was so, he was he someone you could describe as diminutive? Uh, oh, don't don't talk about Stefan like that. <laughs> 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 oh, oh, wow! Wow! Uh, okay, well, first, uh, well, uh, no, well, I think we're about to find out in the next couple of days whether Stefan listens to the Friday show. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> if he leaves yeah if he uh, removes uh, Lloyd no I'll just can I just say about the last few months the thing is City never had the chance to relax there's a reason it's so so hard to do this and City did it and especially with City squad size as well since that Forest game they <laughs> I mean the stats are just non ridiculous really in a way. They've barely been behind, you know, for like under two hours across all games in all competitions. They've 
but you know they've outscored the opposition by ridiculous amounts. The knockout stages of the Champions League that's Leipzig, Bayern Munich, then Real Madrid had an aggregate scoreline of seventeen three. We've put <laughs> four. We've thrashed Arsenal, Liverpool. The run in the FA Cup was was difficult. We, you know, I know they were home ties, but some tough sides there as well. The Champions League draw wasn't kind to City. He's done it with a small squad, and here we are. It's phenomenal. It's an absolutely phenomenal achievement that centres around the generational manager that City have, who turned a season around from us thinking, I don't think we'll win anything, possibly, and it's transitional and we're building for next season, to now us talking about whether it could be the greatest season, not in City's history, but perhaps in English football history. That's a turnaround in about three months. Well, Howard, it's almost like you've looked at the agenda because that leads me perfectly to what I was going to ask Asan. Before I do ask it, Asan, are you willing to, to share who you, you met on match day? I got to shake Sean Wright Phillips' hand. Hey. And then uh, at the very end of the night, I got to uh, shake Alex Kolarov's hand and nice. tell him to tell his mate Jekko to kick one in his own net in the final. <laughs> <laughs> um Howard said there, you know, the turnaround, mentioned the turnaround. It's been a collective effort, of course it has, but when you look back at our seasons, Nadir at... Nadar or Nadir, by the way? Nadir. Nadir. Nadir, At at Spurs um, to the present day. What for you, Asan, or who has come to the fore, do you think? What has been the difference between back then and now? Um, Has it been... You know, one or two players really kind of putting in performances as a change of setup. Is that the main factor? What What would you attribute it mostly to? Rico Lewis and Pep Guardiola mm, uh, nice. is is my and I've I felt this for a while. Um, I think that they the the kind of together those two were the were the catalyst for everything that changed. I think that Lewis came in um, and almost created a blueprint for stones in terms of how to play that position in this setup and how to do it in a way to make the team better going forward um obviously it's guardiola's ideas and then rico lewis executing them and that becomes the blueprint for the rest of the season so that for me really is the kind of is the turning point and i think also I guess I, I feel this, I don't know how true it is, but I feel getting rid of Jao Cancelo um, was probably the other thing that changed everything because it's pretty clear what a just not nice influence he was in the dressing room. And you can't help but look at the upturn in squad harmony, in performances, in results, mm. in everything since that guy got yarded. So those would be the things for me. We, we're going to discuss the relegation battle and the top four battle, but time is against us because we've had some big things, obviously, to discuss today. One thing I do want to end on, though, um, there's a playoff final coming up between Coventry and Luton. Um, two sides who have really, you know, and we touched on this at the start of the pod as well, where we've come from and what it means to us to see the city side we're seeing now. Um, Luton fans, Coventry fans, they know about struggle. And here they are on the precipice of making it to the Premier League. From each of you, I'll start with you, Howard, Coventry or Luton. Who do you want to see in the Premier League next year? Luton, so we can relegate the fuckers. <laughs> perfect, perfect answer, Lloyd. Uh, who would be your preference from those two? 
Uh, I'm not really asked to be honest. Um, I yeah, I really don't care. I think Luton would be kind of fun just because they're tin pot and they have been so far down the leagues, and their mm. ground is a bit of a mess. The uh, ace. And would be funny and would be funny to go to for yeah. the away fans. So maybe Luton, but I I really don't care too much between the, the two to be honest. I'm I'm personally going to Coventry because I wrote about them and what they've been through and the response was just it's one of the most heartwarming responses I've ever had for anything I've ever written. It was just fans basically thanking me for writing it and you know can God I'm talking myself up there, but it's for me Coventry. Uh Asan, Coventry or uh, Sky Blues or the Hatters? Um I guess I'll just I I genuinely don't care, so I'll just say Coventry. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and seriously, I think I think they're both it's an amazing achievement to get there for both Absolutely. of them. So, you know, Coventry have been through the mill, haven't they, with the ground and owners and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, again, it'll be interesting whichever one comes up, yeah. Um, lads, we've had some big, big subjects to, to explore and the three of you have done it superbly well. Thank you very much for joining me today, Aysan. Pleasure. Can I just say really quickly, um, obviously, we heard that Andy Rock passed away overnight uh, and he was the bass player in the Smiths for anybody who doesn't know, but he was also a friend of mine, a really, really, really incredible human being. So as I said earlier, this, this show is for, is for Andy and, and I'll be definitely be raising a glass to him later. Well said. Well, well. Yeah, well said. Mm. Lloyd, thank you very much for joining me today, mate. Pleasure. Howard, thank you, man. No, thank you. It's been a pleasure. And I see also the new kits been announced. So, and it looks okay. So. It looks, uh, I love it. I absolutely love it. So I'm, but yeah. Um, biggest thank you of all, of course, goes to everyone listening. Thank you very much. That's a wrap for today, folks. We're off to put a bet on Ivan Tony's ban being reduced. Oh, the irony. In the meantime, take care, everyone. Be well. And forever up, the title winning blues. <laughs>